Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, Calling All Corn Dogs, it's SST 214, the Minutemen Joy single. We love the Minutemen on this show, and let's be honest, who doesn't, right? Yeah. If they're worth their salt, they love the Minutemen. But to help us out on this episode, where we've covered these tracks before, we've got a special guest. Yeah, similar to the Pat Howard episode, decided to go, you know, way outside of the box. Well, not out. I wouldn't say outside of the box, in the SST wheelhouse. Yeah. But this episode really does not have much to do with the Minutemen or with Joy or with New Alliance. We've got Ron Coleman on the show. Yeah, the interview, you mean, doesn't have a ton to do with the Minutemen, but it is 100% related to SST uh, because Ron tells us all about cruise records. So it's super cool to get, and more, yeah. and more, right? So, yeah. so cool to have Ron on just to keep learning more and more. Um, so hang in there and listen to that awesome interview coming up with Ron. Before we do that, Brant, why don't you hit us with some spiels? I certainly will, Ryan. Uh, so this is a, a Mud Honey update. Mm. Okay. So Mud Honey announced a bunch of dates. Uh, hopefully they come to Canada. Yeah. Some are with the Meat Puppets, which is just so awesome. They've been posting photos from the studio and saying things like putting finishing touches on the new album, mm-hmm. which is great news. The world needs a new Mud Honey album right now, and it'll be good. Yeah, like oh, like, like it's not gonna suck. No so, question. So, so bring it on. Yep. If you missed it the first time around, Keith Cameron's excellent book Mud Honey: The Sound and the Fury from Seattle has been re-released and updated. So you should pick that up because it's it's excellent. Again. I have to pick it up again. Well, I'm. I know you have it already. I. I don't. <laughs> I'm more speaking to our listeners who may not I know, have I know. purchased it. Like I, I don't. Depending on how much how updated it is, you know, I'm. I would potentially rebuy it. Yeah, it always depends, right? Yeah. So maybe I misspoke here. I. I'm not sure this was a mud honey update because here's the the spiel I actually want to get to. So they posted an, an event for a show in Denver. Mud honey did with a band called Cyclosonic, two words, C-Y-C-L-O, Sonic, Mm -hmm. which is a new project from Matt Bischoff, who was bassist guitarist in The Fluid. Oh, yeah. So they look like they've been around since 2019-ish. There's an eight-song album from 2019, an EP from 2020, and a full-length from 2020 called Candied Rats. And holy fuck. How did I not know about this? You got to check this out, Ryan. On it. It is super rocking. Kind of reminded me a bit of the Humpers meets the Fluid meets Obits. Oh. The singer, Jif, is just most excellent. I did a bit of Googling. There's a band camp, by the way. I, and I found an article from a local Denver music listing for a show describing them as being comprised of veterans of Denver's great second era of punk in the 80s with former members of The Fluid, mm-hmm. The Frantics, Rock Tots, and The Choosy Mothers. <laughs> I love all those names. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I think I've heard of The Frantics. That seems like, you know, a band I've at least heard of. I don't know anything about Rock Tots or the Choosy Mothers, but I love that name. 
Yeah, yeah. What and what's the name of the band? Cyclo Sonic. Cyclo Sonic. Yeah. I'm I'm afraid to ask. Are there are there tunes only out on digital so far? Maybe. Oh, you didn't check to see whether they had physical? Yeah, no, I didn't. Oh, well, even more important for me to check into this. <laughs> yeah, it's really good, man. Check that Candied Rats album out. It, it's, uh, you'll like it. Yeah. And then Ryan, like I really, really haven't been listening to a ton of varied music or, or as I was complaining to you before we started recording, I've been quite busy lately, but not too busy to go to a few shows. So uh, I went to see ZZ Top with Cheap Trick. And? Well, I'm a huge Cheap Trick fan, right? And, yeah. and I've actually never seen ZZ Top. So hmm. it's always great to see Cheap Trick. Um, you know, this is for like a a more mainstream crowd, I would say, they're set, you know? Yeah, like yeah. Cheap Trick's weird in the sense that uh, they still put out albums. They headline their own shows in like theaters and, and things like that. Uh, but then they also do this thing where they opening up for other bands. Like I also saw them one time open up for Aerosmith and they kind of play a greatest hit set, which is fine. I don't, I, I like songs like surrender and you want me to, I want you to want me. And they have that like eighties rock ballad too, right? What, yeah. What's uh, that one called? The flame. You know, the flame. There you go. You know that one. <laughs> I don't know it, but you know it. Yeah. Uh, but I love cheap trick and I got to, see, you know, Rick Nielsen played a guitar with like five necks. So that was awesome. <laughs> He does he he does every time, doesn't he? Oh yeah. yeah. And ZZ Top was actually really good too. Same thing. I mean, you know, they've got so many hits, of course they're going to play Legs and Under Pressure and Sharp Dressed yeah. Man, but also like a, a real I would say back to basic blues vibe. Mm. Like they also played, you know, Jesus Just Left Chicago and uh, just got paid and stuff off of Latrez Hombres. So that was cool. And it, it got me thinking about SST connections, right? Oh, with, with ZZ and Cheap Trick? For sure. Yeah. Do you know what the Cheap Trick connection I thought of is? Or what, not a really a connection, but what made me think of SST? I don't know. I mean, maybe you're thinking of that, that chemical people. No, sorry. Big drill car cover of Surrender. Is that what you're thinking oh, of? Oh, good, good guess. No. Okay. Uh, and nice tie-in with, with our uh, cruise yeah. theme. But no, exactly. I was thinking about how Phil Leopold Von Trapp t <laughs> plays like a 12-string bass, just like Tom Peterson from Cheap Trick. Oh, 8-string <laughs> bass. But yeah, the, well, you know that tie-in that I just made right there? Yeah. With the interview and with Cheap Trick? You know what that's called? Uh, Three-banger? Uh, if you insist. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Uh, I was gonna say a two banger, and if you're gonna uh, if you're gonna quiz me about ZZ Top, I was gonna go with like Black Flag, listen to Eliminator in the tour van, or Meat Puppets being yeah. influenced by ZZ Top. How close am I there? Oh, good one on the Eliminator. I was just thinking of Wavos, the oh the Meat Puppets album. You know what that's called? A uh, Spiel Scoop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay, but more importantly than the ZZ Top Cheap Trick show, Ryan, I saw DOA last night. That's probably why my, I might be a little hoarse while I do this. I was hollering. Was it, and Was it the Hardcore 81 show? It was, yeah. So it's Oh, baby. 40 years of Hardcore 81. Now, everybody who listens to this no, show knows I love DOA. Uh, I booked the show. Um, I've probably booked 
you know, I've been booking bands for almost 25 years and I've probably booked DOA at least a dozen times. And I mean, well, you know how many bands I've worked with Ryan and I, mm -hmm. I have to say like Joe Keithley is one of the nicest people I've ever met in this business. Hands best down. To, best of the best for yeah, sure. Yeah. He is yeah. just a genuinely nice person. He like would probably still be standing there talking to fans right now if he, <laughs> if the lineup was long enough. Like, and I, I have to give him credit because almost all of these fans are just legless drunk, you know, yeah. <laughs> and super obnoxious, right? And it, it, he doesn't bat an eye and, and everybody wants to talk to Joe, right? Yeah. He's just such a, a, a lovable guy and uh, just posing for pictures and doing that thing, you know, where he's like, ah, that Joey look, thing, you know? Yeah. It looks like an ogre. <laughs> yeah. And, I remember, I remember one of the shows I saw like, and he doesn't, he doesn't skip a beat either. Hey, Joe, yeah. I remember one time there was just some legless drunk yelling at him from the crowd. And he's like, ah, I remember my first beer. This song's <laughs> called race riot. <laughs> oh yeah. And doing it on stage. I have to say like, I've seen DOA tons of times. This is probably the tightest lineup I've seen them with for, for quite some time too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Joe did all the, Joe tricks, playing guitar with his teeth, playing guitar behind his head. Chainsaw? The high kicks. No chainsaw. Oh, the no the chainsaw. high kicks. He can still kick really high, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he did the a lot of... A lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was awesome, man. And, and played like Hardcore 81, which, I mean, dude, like that record is as good as any record that came out of hardcore mm -hmm. it's like top five man yeah like it's oh, as yeah. good as damaged you know what i mean it's, it's as iconic it's a classic for yep. sure. yeah and and so they played that and closed the show with the prisoner man like just awesome yeah, yeah. i rem i got another quick joey story for you so i'm in banff alberta uh, with i think my, I, I think you told this story on the pod before no did i where you saw him standing on a street corner yeah yeah well mm -hmm. yeah so i'm in banff alberta with my wife, they've yeah. obviously got a gig in Banff that night or, or they're passing through or something like that. And to see some dude walking down the street and I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's Joey shithead. That's Joey Keithley. And she's like, what? And I'm like, that's like a legendary punk rocker, not just in Canada, but in the world. And she's like, he just looks like some lumberjack. <laughs> and I'm like, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's such a sweet guy, man. Mm -hmm. Hey, Ryan, real quick, also, podcast shout out. We're going to be on the Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme podcast. Yeah, we are. Yeah, I think it'll be out by the time this episode drops. Oh, cool. So thanks to Jeff and Soraya for having us on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, so happy that they lowered their standards for us. <laughs> it, was, it was a great chat, and uh, I learned a ton. People will probably have a sense that that... Uh, style of music. I'm a fan, don't get me wrong, but it is nowhere near my wheelhouse like it is for yourself, Jeff and Soraya. I did like how Soraya was like a total purist, hey? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, she's total purist, right? Yeah. That's a, uh, a PFZ, man. What's that? Pander Free Zone. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right on, man. Yeah, thanks, for, uh, thanks to Jeff and Soraya for having us. It was really fun doing it. Totally. Yeah. I was a little nervous because uh, I have a terrible memory. So I just kind of like, 
you know, took over the show, I feel like. Did I take over? Uh, you do every week? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do you want me to say? <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it wasn't out of, like, ego or anything. It was just pu- pure nerves, you know? No, no. It was uh, such a treat, such an honor, and thank you, uh, Jeff and Soraya. Can't wait to hear it. Yeah. What do you have, man? I've got a couple spiels, or three, really, really quick, though, because uh, I want to get to Joy in the interview. First, a quick Truly update. Mm. Their Fast Stories from Kid Coma is up for pre-order, coming out on Bang Records. You can order it from Forced Exposure. Go do it right now. Uh, another quick update is I saw a post that Trinary System are hitting the studio in July. Nice. For a brand new album. Very cool to get some new Trinary System. Their last record was great. And uh, they had a couple of singles, digital singles over the last couple of years, I guess. So time to uh, put out a full length. It'll be great, just like the last one. Looking forward to that. On the tree, Ryan. They're on the tree. Of course, Roger Miller. Yeah. Sorry, I guess I should say that. I guess I should say that. Roger Miller. Final spiel, though. Bit of a tie-in to History Lesson Part 1. Because I'm going to spiel from one of these books. But it's also a backwards tie-in to last week when you were talking about photographers. Okay, I don't understand, but... Hang in there. Okay. Hang in. This is this is a four-banger. Hang in there. So <laughs> Four-banger? Yeah, just wait. Just wait. Here it comes. You must have um, updated the bylaws or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about the Spotinator. Okay. The spot. So I know when we spoke with uh, Jim Ruland... We mentioned, of course, Spot's photos, his excellent photos. And um, I was doing research for this show. And I came, I was just, you know, going through all the books. And I'll talk a bit more about that in History Lesson Part 1. But I came up on this book, Anti-Punk Rock, A History, Text and Photos by Spot. Now, this, of course, came out after his photograph book. And that one is called... Sounds of Two Eyes Opening, Southern California Life, Skate, Beach, Punk, 1969 to 1982. That came out in 2014 on Sign Cure Books, and it's just an excellent photo book. And for those who know Spot, when he says skate, beach, punk, the skate is more about roller skating than skateboarding, actually. Now, um, I bought that photo book a long time ago. It's great. There's some great excellent SST shots, but just amazing photos of that scene in general on the beach, you know, roller derby, uh, skateboarding, just hanging out, you know, with the guys and gals on the beach, on the boardwalk, very cool photo book. But I eventually wanted to get, um, this book that spot released later on called anti-punk rock history. This is, Um, It's a follow-up of sorts, I guess. I'm not exactly sure how to describe it in relation to uh, Sounds of Two Eyes opening. It seems like a bit of a sequel. I don't know. Um, He does speak in the book about how this is really just excerpts from a big manuscript he was apparently drafting for his own kind of life story book. Mm. And, And these are excerpts put to photos that weren't in the first photo book, but it's really cool. I haven't read it fully yet. I just kind of flipped through it. There's an awesome section on Minuteman I'm going to get to in history lesson part one, but 
in order to get this book, I um, reached out to the publisher, No Auditions, and who wrote me back but the Spotinator. And me and Spot exchanged emails for well over a month. You know, it took a while to kind of get get payment and, and this book in the mail. Sounded like Spot was maybe under the weather there and hopefully he's feeling better. And uh, in the email exchange, though, I mentioned to him, of course, that we'd love to have him on the show. And, and I know uh, we've reached out to him in the past. He was uh, a little aloof and, you know, that's fair enough. Um, it was just a thrill to know that I was ordering it direct from Spot. Mm-hmm. When ordering it, though, and I, I know I told you about this, Brant, but I got to share this because it reminded me of it when I was researching for this episode. When ordering it from Spot, he said, who is it for? Do you want me to write an inscription? And I said, what's well, for me? You know, and, and it's like, OK, what do you want me to write? I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to I don't really want to feel like I want to tell you what to write. Right. You know, just a huge fan. You know, Brant and I are huge fans. We'd love to have you on the show. If you're ever interested, let us know. We'd love to have you. Anyways, here's from the book when Spot sent it to me. It says, Ryan, this Mojack guy, <laughs> does he know what he's talking about? Or do I need to talk to him? Spot. It's pretty much the best inscription of all time, mm-hmm. I would say. And uh, can't wait to get into a bit more of Spot's book here in History Lesson Part 1. Should we do it? Yeah. History Lesson Part 1. All right. So I mentioned this early on in the episode, how we have been through these tracks before. Yet again, though, really cool to listen to them in isolation. We've only listened to them on comps before. And now when you listen to them in isolation again, you've got like different ears on. So um, we'll get into that in a bit. But first, let's get a rundown of all the Minutemen releases we've covered already, shall we? Oh, we're doing the full rundown. And I quote... SST number two, Paranoid Time. We're going way back, man. Second episode. SST four, the punchline where we had as a guest. Uh, Watts on bass. Yeah, man. Mike Watt. <laughs> can you believe Mike came on on our fourth episode? <laughs> I can because Mike Watt's a fucking awesome guy. Yeah, I know, right? Like, <laughs> wow. I still can't believe it. Such an honor. Uh, SST 13, the blasting concept where we had Abe Gibson on. There's four Minutemen tracks on that comp. SST 14, What Makes a Man Start Fires. SST 16, Buzzer Howl, Under the Influence of Heat. SST 28, Double Nickels on the Dime, where we had Michael T. Fournier on. Excellent friend of the pod, Michael. Mm-hmm. SST 32, My First Bells. This is our first release that included the Joy EP, where we had the wonderful Linda Kite on. That still is one of my favorite interviews of all time on the show. Yeah. Um, SST 34, the Project Mersh EP. SST 43, the Blasting Concept 2, where it had the Ain't Talking About Love song on it. Uh, Hey, and you know what? I'm going to count SST 50, the Minute Flag 12-inch. SST 58, Three-Way Tie for Last. SST 68, Ballot Result. 69, Chunks, where we have the song Clocks. 70, the Seven Inch Wonders of the World, where there are seven Minutemen tracks, and we had Jordan Schwartz as a guest on that episode. Killer. Yeah. Killer interview. Uh, 92, Cracks in the Sidewalk, where we've got the Minutemen track 930, May the 2nd. 
Then we uh, had a bit of a break, <laughs> I would say. Uh, we got to SST-138, post Mersh Volume 1, where we had Stuart Sweezy on, talking about Desolation Center. Right, yeah. An- another killer interview. And watch that documentary, man. SST-139, post Mersh Volume 2, where we had the man himself, John Golden, on the episode. Oh, Wow. Hey, John Golden, man, talking about the care and effort he put behind mastering every single release he ever did. Amazing. JG, man. Amazing, amazing. And here we are, post-Mersh Volume 3, that's SST-165, where we had the Joy EP yet again. And now we're at SST-214. And by my count, you know, strictly speaking, very, very strictly speaking, I believe we get the Minutemen three more times on the show. Hmm. Uh, We'll have them on Politics of Time, Introducing the Minutemen, and Brant, we'll get them when we go to the Nines. (laughs) You you remember the Nines? Yeah, I remember the Nines. All right, because guess what? 10-inch version of this? Yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) And of course... Those are just the SST releases, many of which originally, uh, you know, were released on New Alliance records. And we're going to talk a bit more about that. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the Joy EP. When are we? Where are we? Originally released on New Alliance records in 81. New Alliance records 004. Recorded and mixed at Casbah Recording Studio in Fullerton, California, August 1st, 1981, in five hours this baby was done. That's what it says right on the record, right? You betcha it does. Um, Produced, and in fact, one of the books I read, watched spiels about it a few times over the years too. Five hours. He never forgot that. (laughs) Um, Produced by Mike Patton, engineered by John St. James and Tom Trapp. Now that's the Mike Patton from middle class, we should say. Yes, absolutely. Not Not Faith No More. Right. Yeah. And then SST released it in 1988 on mini CD, cassette, seven inches in a, in a bunch of different colors. Mine is like just a plain old black one. Mine's the 88 release here. And then, then in 1991 on a 10 inch as SST 923, they released that 10 inch on black and purple vinyl. So this came out on cassette too, right? In 1988? Cassingle. Crazy. When, when we did our episode on uh, uh, the Fat EP, People were messaging us about those mini CDs. They like them. Yeah? Yeah. Well, yeah, you were dissing them so hard, man. (laughs) You were like, total cash grab. They're nothing but coasters. So we've heard this twice though, right? We heard this on My First Bells and on Postmerge Volume 3. That's right. All three of these tracks, right? Correct. This is the third time. Introducing the Minutemen does not reproduce all three tracks, just two of them. Okay. So, uh, but of course, you know, I'll remind you when we get there. Yeah. Um, now, to get into the joy state of mind, I want to read you some spiels out of some books, Brent. Mm, mm-hmm. Okay. And the best place to start when you're talking about the Minutemen and you're going to Pedro is A Wailing of a Town, Craig Ibarra's excellent book. Here's a spiel from Mike Watt talking about the release of joy in relationship to the punchline. Okay. The punchline was recorded in the fall of 80. It didn't come out for a year. In fact, it took so long to come out, we put out the Joy record on our label, New Alliance. Oh, right. The the Joy EP comes out in August of 81. We put it out the same month we recorded it. Three songs in five hours. 
Mike Patton from Middle Class approached us about wanting to do something, and he knew about this studio when Fullerton called Casbah. D. Boone did the front cover, and Ken Starkey did the back cover art. The back cover is D. Boone looking inside his own mind. The Joy EP actually comes out before the punchline. That's right. This is when SST was totally cash-strapped, right? Backlogged, cash-strapped, you betcha. Didn't, didn't really have that black flag cash flow just yet. Now, in A Wailing of a Town, there is also a release-by-release release description of all of the New Alliance records. And here's some New Alliance records promo booklet catalog spieling about the Joy release, okay? Yeah. Quote, strong effort by a hometown favorite. By looking at the jacket, you can tell right off that the purple ink must set the pace for this hard-hitting testimonial. And what a brilliant label picture, featuring a D. Boone rendering of Gino, Wasted. I tell you, this record is a real shit stomper, or should I say three separate turd tappers. Joy, Black Sheep, and Ken's favorite, More Joy, featuring, incidentally, music written by none other than Des Kadena of the pop group Black Flag. That reference to the, uh, the label picture rendering is just points out that on the new Alliance pressing, there is a, an image drawn by D Boone on it. Whereas the SST pressing that I have is just like yellow and black SST, you right. know, fire hose letters, new Alliance records letters. So when they say Ken's favorite, that's Ken Starkey who drew the back cover. Yes. From, uh, from the plebs. Right. And he, he was also on, um, the feeble efforts comp and, Oh shoot! What's the other one? I'll get to it in a bit. Okay. You're interrupting my flow. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Anyways, um, not to be outdone again. Like I went through the stacks. I pulled out the microfiche. I relearned the Dewey Decimal System, and I got some more here. Okay. Let's now go to the Spotinator's book, Anti-Punk Rock: A History. Again, 2017 on the uh, the No Auditions Press. Here's a spiel that spot lays down about like who the Minutemen were and what they were about. The Minutemen were probably the best thing to happen to SST in those early days. They were crankily plowing along their fertile field like the Arkansas traveler arguing with Admiral Halsey. Mules versus tugboats. Nothing long-winded here, just amusing displays of precise musical acrobatics. The Three Stooges wisecracking as uninvited protesters outside Senate doors, doing everything short of hurling pies. And the unwitting audiences were pulled in like tuna raised on Iowa corn. There could only have ever been those three men, D. Boone, Mike Watt, George Hurley, capable of forming that triangle. An eloquent Euclidean example where the universe shrugs and says, that's it, take it or leave it. San Pedro, who'd have thunk it? Geographical isolation can often be an advantage in terms of art. At that time, there was definitely something in the harbor town's air and or water that made its musical inhabitants relate perhaps more keenly to post-bop jazz sensibilities than to classic post-glam rock visions. So these inelegant corn dogs desiring to belong thoroughly trumped their rivals by surfacing at Hollywood shows far more than Hollywood punkers ever got close to the beach towns. I like that point about isolation, breeding creativity. So true. Yeah, yeah. The, the next page goes on to talk about saccharine trust. Okay. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you, you can tell where the spotinator is going on that. Just killer. It's a great book. Both of those books. Um, let me give you a spiel out of uh, Michael Azarad's book here about why the band had New Alliance Records to begin with. So this is from Our Band Could Be Your Life. And of course, there's a Minuteman chapter in this book, which is awesome. Yeah. Quote, when asked what inspired the label, New Alliance Records, that is, Boone had replied simply, Black Flag. Part of being a punk band was also making a label, Watt explains. We never thought the label would get bigger. We just wanted to have it. So if you saw the band, you could get the record. New Alliance soon began paying for itself with all the profits going right back into the label. Totally following a black flag model, right? Yeah. Now, this is probably the best thing I think I found this week in the Mojack stacks. I found issue 16 from December 1981 of the Touch and Go fanzine. Wow, you really were combing, combing through, the, through the goods, man. Yeah, man. I dusted off the microfiche. Okay, so I have two spiels out of the uh, December 1981 touch-and-go zine. Now, of course, Joy came out in August, so this is December. So it's a few months after Joy has been released, okay? Mm-hmm. First, here's an ad from New Alliance Records, and it's got you know, a drawing in there. I'm pretty sure it's, it's either a D Boone drawing or maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a Ken drawing. I don't know. Um, but it looks like, I think it's George Hurley in a car with a parrot hanging oh, yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. You've probably seen it before, well, I've, right? I've, 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 he does that on the back cover of three way tie. Yeah. Yeah. With the parrot. Yeah. So here, here's what it's, and there's a caption to this drawing. It says, I play drums for a working class band. I possess expensive ornaments because Georgie must have had a pet parrot, right? right. Of course he, of course he did. Yeah. So here is what the uh, New Alliance Records advertisement in this issue says: "Brand new George type shit from L.A. Five song EP from the Descendants. Heavy and mean fish punk. Three song EP from the Minutemen. Solid and bent freakout." Salvation Army debut single, Chemical Pop Tones. They're kind of describing it after each one, right? Yeah. Each record, $2.50 postpaid, direct and real thrash from the place everyone thinks they know about. Hear it, feel it, then go out and do your jam. That's what it's all about, okay? Probably add a couple zeros onto that now. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. But uh, just eminently... Minutemen, yep. this ad, eminently. Now, the here working, we go. The working class spiel. Oh, oh, yeah. Now, here we go. How about a review of the Joy EP from Touch and Go Fanzine? Oh, yes, please. Here we go. Three more greats from the Speed Merchants. This isn't quite as strong sounding as their first EP, nor is it as long. These three tracks totaling under three minutes. Almost funk this time. This is short, great, brief, to the point. Expect the unexpected from these guys. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, it definitely made me think of their, uh, you know, kind of more of their post-punk influences. Absolutely. I'll, I'll get, get to that. And you know what? Like the bass playing in particular for me on this record, again, listening in, to it in isolation. Yeah. 
uh, I was totally picking out post-punk vibes. Yep. And uh, we'll get to that when we go through the tracks. Um, but that's, you know, I thought I would sprinkle a few spiels there. I got to save some for the, the remaining Minutemen episodes on the show. So that's all we got to do for today. Nice work. Nice work. Yeah, man. Why don't you tell us about Ron? Okay, well, again, much like Pat Hoad, I really don't think I have to say too much. We kind of cover it all off, but, you know, I Ron got started working for Cruise Records. You're going to kind of hear what he did before that, how he, he got on got started with Cruise, and, and then he uh, eventually moved over to SST proper and uh, had quite the career after that too. So, like I said, it's kind of really shifting gears, kind of, but not really, because it, it's all SST, so... Should we kick it over to Ron, maybe, though? Yeah. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Ron Coleman. Ron, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. All right, so we're talking about uh, SST and Cruise. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to go way back. Where are you from originally? Staten Island, New York. How did you find your way out to California? So, uh, yeah, I went to New York City Community College, got a degree in heating, ventilation, air conditioning, engineering, and I transferred it to Cal Poly Pomona, uh, moved out here in 79, I think, 78, 79. And um, after I tried engineering, but it didn't work, did urban planning, and, and I switched to marketing and communications. And while I was at Cal Poly uh, in marketing and communications, I wrote for the school paper. I um, worked at the radio station, uh, and then I also booked bands on campus through the ASI. And uh, I'm uh, proud to say that uh, Kevin Lyman, who ran the, the Warp Tour all those years, uh, used to come to my shows before oh, yeah. he even started uh, back because we both were in uh, Cal Poly at the same time. Um, and in fact, uh, I was thinking about this yesterday. The first encounter with a soon-to-be SST artist I had was in was that October fifteenth, nineteen eighty-two, the day I met my wife. It was at a noontime concert of the Violent Femmes. Oh yeah, it was their first tour, uh, and uh, Gordon Gano was, I think, he was seventeen or eighteen years old, and so uh, it, it was. You know, Brian Ritchie was in the band. And so, you know, years later, I worked with him at SST. You know, right, so, yeah. And I never even put that together. But because I'm getting interviewed, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking about all these things, right? right. Uh, so, yeah. So after um, I graduated from Cal Poly in 83, I wound up doing an internship at Epic Records with Michael Jackson's off the uh, Was it off the wall? Yeah, going mm -hmm. was going off the wall and sending out videos to, you know, regional video uh outlets uh it was just a cabinet a big old metal cabinet sending out videos mm -hmm. and that was before mtv and all that stuff so i did gigs at uh rhino records in westwood right i uh, worked there with uh, in fact you know uh will cole yep the band Wilco, nels klein the, the guitarist well he was the indie import bar buyer and he trained me to take his job ah. he, he went to uh you know do his music thing but yeah, I worked a whole bunch of odd jobs uh, trying to get my way into the music business, getting a record label job, you know. Mm -hmm. And I worked for Gem uh, Records, it was a distributor up in Reseda. They had an office in uh, New York and, and Reseda, California. And I was doing independent, you know, distribution. And it happened to be that they were going out of business not about six 
I worked there about six months, but you know, things were, you know, writing was on the wall. It was going down. And so they went out of business just as the very first fall record was coming out. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, what happened was Greg Gim was very interested in me when he interviewed me because, uh, gem records was basically holding their records hostage because they went out of business. You know, they, they shipped like 14, 15,000 records of the first all record. And then, um, you know, he couldn't get any movement, couldn't get them back so he could sell them to some other distributor. So I, I was, you know, uh, I, I guess because I worked there, I had some connections and I was able to get a good deal of them back, you know, but, um, my interview, with with Greg was very interesting. Uh, what I did is I met him at the uh, office, the SST office. It was up on Alameda Street. And um, what happened was I got there, you know, and then I wound up waiting, you know, at least thirty minutes or so, you know, you know, no sign. And then I'm in the lobby, and then in walks Greg. He's all like drenched, you know, because he's been. He didn't have a car at the time. He was, he ran from Long Beach where he was living up to um, it's North Long Beach and Alameda Street. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so yeah, go in there. And then he and Chuck interviewed me and all that. And it, it seemed to go well. And and he, you know, at the end of the interview, he just he offered me a job, you know, because he said it, it wasn't a job with SST because I was like, oh, wow, SST, man, I'm, you know. Um, but he said he's starting something. Uh, on the side, a label on the side. It's called Cruise Records, and and then after the interview, um, I said, "Yeah, sure, let's 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 get this thing going." And he asked me if I can give him a ride home. Uh-huh. So, so I gave him a ride home to his apartment, and he invited me upstairs to go watch a Laker game with him. And uh, and so he said, "Yeah, sure, why not? This is my new boss. I'm going to hang out with him." And he breaks out the bong. You know, and we both start, you know, watching Lakers and, and, and then, you know, uh, a little while into it, he, he gets a bass, you know, doesn't plug it in. He just, you know, I'm sure you heard, he just practices profusely right, I mean, yeah. you know, hours and hours a day. So, yeah, it was we watching Laker game and, you know, shooting the crap and then he's, you know, going off on the bass there. And so that was my first day with, with Greg Ginn, you know, he was, uh, you know, um, and so after that, um, he had us uh, a building. It was on um, was Atlantic Avenue, uh, and what was interesting is um, it was it was above a storefront. So we had this long, you know, set of stairs that you had to go up, and that's where we had to carry <laughs> all the the record boxes all the way up and store them up in the room there, and then bring them back down and kind of get them to a distributor or ship them and stuff like that. UPS hated us because, you know, they had to go up and, you know, get, get the boxes or deliver them to us. You know? right. um, and we worked real closely with Steve at Rainbow Records, you know, for the manufacturing. So basically it was just Greg and I, and um, he had three bands. He had uh, All, he had uh, Big Drill Car, and he had the Chemical People. And th- those were the three bands I was in charge of, you know, everything, basically, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and so what was interesting after the back and forth with Gem Records and them going out of business and getting All's records, you know, already says uh, records back, uh, it was like, okay, now we got to get the tour booked, you know. Uh, so and naturally they, they all went out together. And what was interesting about 
working at Cruise Records at that time is that I'd, I'd be, um, I have a map on the wall, right? right? And Bill Stevenson always told me, anything more than this, which is like eight hours drive, you know, I'd yeah. put it up on the same, eight hours or less, Here. you know. For people who can't see, Ron's holding up his fingers like Ronnie James Dio. Yeah. Ronnie James Dio, yeah. Horns. So it was the Ronnie James Dio uh, method of, of measuring uh, distance on, on the map for how long they, they would be willing to drive one night for, for a gig. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know the the, the, the the trails that all the SSD bands blaze. I mean, Chuck, you know, he was the, the tour uh, manager. I mean, he was the the guy, the booking, the booking agent, if you will. Yeah. Um, it was in-house booking. So um, after I booked the show, I just switched ear, ears with the phone. I said, "Okay, now you're talking to the the, uh, the promoter, the publicist." You know, it's like, give me all the radio stations, give me all the, uh, you know, the um, newspapers and and any any place that you use to promote these, you know, uh, gigs, and let, let's let's do this. You know, and so. It was um, it was a you know trial by fire you know uh, I mean I am a pretty outgoing you know chatty guy to begin with so I think that's what uh, Greg appreciated about me so that I <laughs> I had a lot of uh, energy to, to do this because uh, you know there was there was a lot to do yeah and, and so I booked the bands uh, promoted them marketed them uh you know work with the bands to get their artwork together get their recordings you know you know and you know it because greg was busy uh doing his music because that was the other thing he he was he was putting together uh his solo material and and, yeah. and you know working with other uh bands uh, excuse me other musicians to, to put his thing together and so um it was about i don't know it was about a year and a half of of that um about about a no, it wasn't about like six months into it we we hired one person his name was uh uh greg uh jacobs we called him jake cruz i was ron cruz everybody you know had their cruz names right. and um was it uh greg said that the the word the, the, the name cruz he, he saw a really cool graffiti uh, somewhere in long beach and it cruz and then that's so yeah it was a cool record label yeah it's pretty well documented that when Greg got into a new project, whether it's a band or whatever, right, he, he got all the way into it. Was he around a lot? Do you think it changed the dynamic at SST, him having crews and like probably being pretty, oh, yeah. pretty it, into the, his new, his new bands, like he's kind of returning to, to music himself and, and he's got this mm -hmm. new, this new label. Yeah, he, it was definitely, um, uh, you know, because being that we were a startup record label, pretty much, I mean, sure, we had Greg and his resources, but he was very, very adamant about me not tapping into any of the resources of SSC because it would be, you know, uh, you know, to to be unfair to, to Chuck, mm -hmm. because they were co-owners of the label at the time, um, for me to be, you know, uh, you know, hanging out and, and trying to uh, glean you know, contacts, information, or uh, parlay, if you will, any, any, any of the, the the resources there. And in fact, he didn't want me hanging out with anybody that worked at SSD. Mm -hmm. You know, he wanted he he really wanted to keep a a firewall up between SSD and Cruise because um, he wanted to do this his way on his own without without you know. Uh, just taking advantage of the SST, uh, you know, legacy, if you will. 
you know, like I said, hired Jay Cruz because uh, he had a uh, he had a good he had a strong connection with the big drill car. That's how we met him and stuff. And he he, he was a really solid guy. Um, and then when Greg uh, finally bought Chuck's half out of the you know the company, he decided to move the the, the headquarters of SST to uh, Los uh, Los Alamitos. You know where the racetrack is down there and all that. Yeah. Uh, just down the block from the high school. Um, <clears throat> and it was in a real brand new, like industrial park, uh, real, really pristine kind of building. Uh, and we naturally had a parking lot with a basketball who, you know, this, you know that, that was, that was his other passion besides music. And, and, you know, was was basketball. I mean, um, when uh, Greg and I used to travel to, you know, new music seminar or, uh, you know, like the, the, the NARM uh, meetings or, or the, there was, it used to be NAIRD, National, National Association of Independent Record Distributors. He'd always bring a, a pump and a deflated uh, basketball. And uh, we'd, um, because he and I are tall, uh, so we, we do pick up games with, with different people uh, at these different events because we, we like blow off some of the, you know, the seminars and the meetings and go, Hey, look, come on, let's go. And, and I remember one time we were at new music seminar. We, we got out there with flea, uh, and he was pesky, you know, to, 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 uh, to guard because he was fascinating. But, you know, all you had to do is put your hand up over him because he's so short. So that was, that was easy. And Greg had this really killer fadeaway jumper, right? He just like, you, you know how Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you just can't go anywhere near his arm when he yeah. does the skyhook? That's why I always tell my daughter, learn the skyhook. They'll never get, you know what I mean? He has the most points of any person in the planet, you know? Yeah. So Greg had this um, fade, fadeaway jumper. he just like fall back like he was going to fall on his ass, you know? Uh, but what I used to always do, I used to just stick my fingers, almost poke his eyes out, just 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 to, just to rattle him. Just to get, but I never touched him. I never touched him. And so... So he and I used to always, you know, get at each other that way and all that. I wasn't that good at basketball, but I was tall, so I got in the way and stuff. I was right. more of a defensive guy, not a not a shooter. So that <clears throat> that's one of the things that that I really enjoyed is that you know we, we want to go out and blow off some steam. You know, things were kind of crazy in the office, whatever. We you know we just you know or at lunch break go out and shoot around and you know just just take the edge off. Mm-hmm. So that was before Google had their their, uh, you know, uh, lounges and stuff. You know? Right, right, yeah. I mean, looking back, right, like, you buy an SST record, it's got a catalog in it that has all the crew stuff, right? But oh my that, that that would have come, like you say, after, after, after yeah. you, you know, Greg bought out Chuck, right? So before right. that, do you have any insight into why Greg started Cruise in the first place or why, you know... And what made these bands cruise bands as opposed to SST bands? Like, what was yeah, the decision-making the, process? Yeah, we used to get that question all the time. You know, Greg is the one that will give you the that could give you the best answer. But from my experience, all I can tell is that uh, I think Greg wanted to, you know, do what he eventually did was to to, to run SST, and since he couldn't do it, he decided to you know, start cruise to, to be the sole proprietor, the, the, the only voice in the decision-making process. Um, mind you, a lot of the things that he did with cruise were similar to SST. You know, I mean, I was 
you know, doing all the things that, you know, he and Chuck did for SSD, but on a much smaller scale. Um, and to, to your point about the, uh, the catalogs, he, you know, you know where he got the idea of put the catalogs in and, and smashing so much type, little, any, you know, point, what, three point type is it or four point type? Yeah, really small. Yeah, you know, you got to have good eyesight. You know, well, most young people have good eyesight. So the punk rockers are cool with it. But he used to tell me that, um, have you ever seen a Dr. Bronner's uh, so, uh, soap uh, bottle? I said, yeah, I, I actually, to this day, I use Dr. Bronner's of the peppermint. Um, well, look at all the type he's got in it. Look all the information is in there, you know? And that was that was his his thought process about those catalogs, is that, hey, somebody bought a record, like you said, and give them the information about what else is going on. Right. And so that's why it was it was painstaking, some of those catalogs, what we tried to do to get, you know, and the fold, we had, we had to, you know, like I told you, we worked with with the people at Rainbow Records, Steve and all, you know, here, here's the catalog with a piece of paper. We send the piece of paper, but they have to fold it and put it in the CD or the cassette or, the, you know, it's, it was it was part of his master plan to make sure that everybody knew what was available. You know, if you like this, then, you know, look at all this stuff. And and, that, and so, yeah, we did the, the mail order, um, you know, uh, business as well. And so did SST. But what was interesting, too, about um, when Greg finally took over, SST, Chuck stayed on board. Right. Right. He stayed on board. He became the, the sales manager, basically. And he built a, you know, direct sales uh, team for whatever. I worked there for seven years. You know, it was like a couple of years or so with uh, Cruz. And then, you know, about a good five years, four or five years with Chuck. And Chuck, Chuck is, I don't know, have you, have you had a chance to interview Chuck? We have, yeah. He, he didn't really talk too much about SST. It was more around, you know, uh, we interviewed thing, him about yeah. Worm. Yeah. Worm, yeah. yeah. And, um, and once again, I, I, what I, the, what I'm talking about is just coming from Ron Coleman's mm -hmm. experience perspective. I don't profess to know what went on in anyone's minds, Chuck, Greg, or anybody else. Um, yeah, so Worm, yeah, we worked with Rich. Rich was the production uh, manager at right. the time, yeah. uh, Rich Ford. Uh, but Chuck, as you probably have, you know, uh, you know, learned from speaking with him, is a really sharp guy, really, uh, you know, you know, a good, a, a deep thinker, but, but a quirky one, you know. And so, and the way he expresses himself uh, is uh, he, he's, he's got some I iconic um, – I remember one thing that he used to always say all the time was uh, talk about the rrr, rrr, rrr. And he said he learned that from HR because HR, oh, HR was a whole nother story to tell you about. But, and I don't know, have you interviewed HR? No, tried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, with all due respect to HR, I, I do think he has some, you know, um, some demons that, that keep him from, you know, keeping them uh, uh, regulated, I guess, if mm -hmm. you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the expression, the rrr, 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 was, uh, you know, people talking behind people's back or, or, or people trying to, you know, backstab you or, you know, or, or, the, or the gossip and stuff. And if, if you listen too much to the rrr, 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 it'll, it'll tear you down and right. stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, Styli Selassie used to say that a lot. And, uh, uh, well, there's a few other expressions they'll come to me because I use them once in a while because you know, Chuck <laughs> laid them on me and they, they stuck with me. Yeah. Oh, and then 
Nels Klein, go back to Nels Klein. He had, uh, he always talked about shredding, you know, you know, yeah, he yeah. really shreds on guitar. But um, I was working at Rhino. I'm sorry, I'm b- bouncing back, but you know, I'm thinking about the uh, the connections and the, and the lingo right now. Yeah. But Nels Klein, when, when we worked together and he trained me over at uh, Rhino and Westwood, um, it was right around the time when James Jane's addiction was just blowing up, right? We we'd like blow out fifty records a day off off the off the rack or more. You know, you know who uh, used to come in there because he he lived in uh, Beverly Hills was uh, Dave Nasworthy, the drummer and Chemical People, and he was really young. I mean, he was like maybe sixteen, seventeen, and um, you know he w- was you know into a lot of that stuff. But uh, but the the, the type of the stereotypical like Jane's addiction the uh, fan would come in and and Nels uh, would call him uh, night muffin because they, they were so pale with the dark hair and you know, he's old and night muffins are coming in for you know, so because you you've have you worked at a record store or worked around a record store I've uh, been in many yeah All right, my yeah, co-host because, Ryan has because there is a certain um, decorum if you will of of just when you have your it's almost like it's almost like a uh, you know a team sport, you know the kind of music genre you're into or the bands, and and so you have to figure out ways to tear down the other guy's you know <laughs> you know passion right with your passion, and so yeah, it was really interesting because Rhino was a pretty um, uh, you know eclectic store. I mean, it it it, it was it just had some really really uh passionate really hardcore fans of the different types of music that we were working with in fact you know gary stewart who left us a few years ago was the uh he was like the the business manager he'd come in and you know pay everybody the checks and and stuff like that and we'd have the the sales and and things but that's the job i had before i went to gem records um i worked i only worked there about eight months because the the job at gem records came up and that's i jumped on that but back to the the Chuck experience, he was you know he was a real you know savvy uh, and 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 you know just um, intelligent and experienced guy. But he was he was level headed. He 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 wouldn't talk shit about people, you know. But but he he knew where to step back when people were were back to the you know, HR river, you know the you know the bad vibe stuff, you know. Yeah. So it was really interesting. I, I it, it always uh, was was a, a big question mark that you know he he stuck around after everything to uh, work work with Greg all that time. Uh, but you know it, it worked out. Unfortunately, I I didn't have to book bands anymore. I was in charge of uh, first. I was just doing marketing and and, and sales, you know, the publicity and all that, and then. Um, when Rich Ford left, um, I moved over to basically label manager where I'd, I'd um, you know, report directly to, to Greg about, you know, manufacturing, about, you know, marketing, about, you know, everything would, you know, kind of go through uh, for me, and except for the financial uh, aspect of it. His his assistant, uh, Sidney Dawes, was the one that um, <clears throat> was with him for many years and, and took care of that. And then uh, we had... Uh, uh, Patrick, who was head of the art department, he, he was a character, uh, and Victor Gastelum. Who uh, have you had a chance to interview Victor? He's on my radar, but we're we're 
just not quite in that era yet. I don't era think. yet. Okay, yeah. yeah. Because um Victor is a really cool, cool dude and um, you know, he's he's done those those Calexico album covers yeah. and yeah. he does those stencil art and stuff and I've kept in touch with him. I've kept in touch with Chuck a little bit. We email each other once in a while and talk to him once in a while. He sent him a birthday greeting and stuff and you know, the the time at uh, SST when we were over in that building in Los Alamitos was was uh, how shall we say there was a, just a lull in the there wasn't a lull in the activity we had a lot of things in the pipeline yeah but one of the things that really ate up a lot of resources was uh, you know the U2 negative land yeah um, and did you guys cover that one yet? We ca- haven't gotten there yet, but uh, mm-hmm. I just... Where are you in the timeline right now? Are you We're right around, we're just getting into like 1989, so... Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. we're, so we're, getting, we're just... getting close. <laughs> so yeah, so you're at Cruise Records. Right? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're at 89. Cruise, yeah. 88, it was, it was in the spring, I think it was like right around this time, uh, April, May of uh, 80, 88 when I you know, started working with Greg because mm-hmm. I remember my wife right now who I've been married to for about tw- just over 20 years. We actually were together from 83 to 88 and we broke up and went our separate ways. We were young or whatever. In fact, my wife had a career in, uh, in showbiz. She um, worked as a customer and her very first movie that she worked on was La Bamba. Oh, wow. And uh, she got into the union and everything and she spent 10 years uh doing that so um but yeah i remember we had broken up just like a week after i got the job with greg and and i was just like you know useless for a day and i just said greg it's over i'm i'm you're all i'm all yours you know (laughs) it was like so so that was part of my motivation to to really rock rock it at cruise because you know from an emotional standpoint i was like i was wasted if if you want to throw yourself into some work like Agreeing to work for Greg Ginn is probably, <laughs> you know, yeah, the, yeah, about you're, you're as, about get, as good as it can get. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get a lot of work. Yeah. You're going to get a lot of work. Yeah. Okay, so um, so, so back when you're you're just getting started with Cruise, then, you know, you mentioned those kind of three first first three bands. Was was there anything that was slated to come out on Cruise that didn't that you're aware of? Uh oh. And because you're asking me this question again, it reminded me, oh, you know, the, you asked the question of uh, what made these cruise bands versus right. what made these, uh, you know, SSD bands. Well, the fact that we had all, which were the descendants, and that's the other thing, right? They, Milo left, and so they're all, and then, you know, they had like what, three different singers over the course of the time. And now, and, you know, they wound up working at Epitaph, which is where I worked after I worked at uh, SST uh, with a little gig in between. Yeah. But um, with all, it was really kind of, there was some, you know, there's a connection. There was a parlay there. Right. But, you know, when I was booking all tours and trying to get people to write about them and everything, it, it everybody wanted to talk about the descendants, descendants, descendants. And it, it's, it's hard. It's almost like when someone goes, from a band and they leave it and do their solo act. Oh, well, what about, you know? So there was that kind of a negotiation of, of how the direction you'd want to go with that band. But, you know, it was a clean slate naturally with, with um, chemical people 
and uh, and uh, big drill car. Now the interesting thing about chemical people is, remember, I you know I, I knew Dave Naz Worthy before I knew him, right? Just like uh, Brian Ritchie, right? Uh, Dave Nasworthy, to this day, he's he's a he's an excellent photographer, and I don't know if you've seen his work. So. I have, yeah. But he somehow made inroads with porn stars. Yeah. He was hanging out with porn stars. He, and and he got porn stars to, to to be on the cover of their albums, right? Yeah. And so uh, there were there was a lot of here we go, you know, coming from different circles, especially some of the people at uh, SST that I knew. What, what is what is what is he putting out records by bands with porn stars? You know, and it was kind of difficult in some places because people were. Um, you know, politically correct about this, and they thought it was exploitive and, and, and so forth. But I just had to, and it's funny because there was one that the first one I had to get on the artwork, I had to get him to, you know, cover up the areola, you know, with, with a, I, I cut out some little piece of paper, and then they sent it to the printers, like, come on, man. otherwise, we're not going to get this in the store. You know, right. it's like crazy stuff. But I think that. Um, you know, all not so much a difference of SST kind of type of band, but um, uh, chemical people were were young. They, they they were different. I mean, you know, from from the uh, the average SST band. But the thing is, I mean, you know the SST catalog. I mean, you do you're doing a whole you know podcast on the whole damn history. They're they're all over the place. Yeah, that, that was. That was a complaint, but it's also a compliment. Yeah. You know, I mean, how you ever want to look at it. So there is the chemical people. And then Big Drill Car was more of a, um, you know, more of a poppy. It's like when, remember when, when, when Firehose came, came along after the Minutemen, you know, uh, uh, you know, so D Boone died, you know, everybody got, you know, bent out of shape about, you know, Ed from Ohio and, and, and his more, you know, hooky, poppy kind of uh, approach to it, you know. Uh, but, you know, D. Boone had some hooks. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, and, but uh, th those three, the first three bands were, um, you know, always pretty much, you know, as descendants with a new singer, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then Chemical People were, were different to a certain degree. Uh, but then... Um, and then the one that was really different, right, was was Skin Yard. You know? Yeah. And everybody said, "What? What the hell?" You know. Um, but you know, Greg's experience with Soundgarden and that scene, and you know, screaming trees, you know, everything coming, you know, the, the grunge, you know, that was the the buzz. And you know, we had uh, th that record come out. And then the other thing is when when the bands found out we were going to SSD, they were like, "Oh yeah," you know, it's like now we're going to be part of SSD, but but Greg just didn't just fold it all in. He wanted to still keep the crew's, you know, identity mm -hmm. within 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 the SSD, uh, you know, um, umbrella or whatever. And so, do you have any insight, Ron, into how um, New Alliance factored in, kind of before and after the move? Were they also separate like that? Yeah, they they were separate like that because um, he had a you know a label manager you know Robert Vodica. Do you, do yeah, you, we've have, talked have to you, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and here's another 
smart guy, deep thinker with, with a lot of opinions and things like that. Uh, hippie. Yeah. He had the really long hair. And we used to always walk around barefoot and shorts and stuff <laughs> wherever we went, yeah. but he was a good basketball player. You know, so we, that was the other thing. Greg always had tall people, you know, um, <laughs> that we could shoot hoops with too. I think that was a consideration. Um, but yeah, he, we'd always have this separate, you know, marketing and logos and, and, and vibe. And then I, I think you probably talked about it with, with, uh, Robert, it's the, um, the whole four way foray into the Harvey Kubinick stuff, you know, all the spoken word and the, yeah. and the, the Bill Walton and the, the John Wooden, which I was, you know, part of, uh, you know, I mean, and then uh, Buddy Collette, you know, the, there were some pretty stellar people that Absolutely. they worked with. To, yeah. and, and I was like, I was in awe and all that stuff and seeing Bill Walton, you know, kind of traipsed down the hallway and, and, and going to Greg's office like, oh, look at that. So, um, the but yeah we that was totally uh, you know he he had different uh, lanes for 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 these these labels and he um, didn't want to didn't want to you know dilute their their direction or their their vibe or whatever it is yeah I, so, I I assume Craig Abara's connection to working for SST was how Rig got on the on Cruz's radar as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And they were a good band, but you know, uh, Craig didn't really, uh, he was a creative guy, but, but he, he was, you know, uh, I guess he was somebody else that had some demons and stuff that he, he could, he couldn't, um, uh, he couldn't be consistent. You know, he, he had, he had trouble sometimes, um, getting to work, uh, getting to work on time and, and, and stuff. So I don't know what went on in his life outside of, you know, work and everything, but I know, you know, he had it tough. So it, but he was really talented. I mean, and he did a lot of really cool stuff when we moved over uh, to, uh, to SST, you know, when Cruz used to do these, you know, Cruz band night, you know, and then we remember we did one at, uh, at the, uh, the palace years ago and, and, you know, gave away stuff and, he, but he, he did caricatures of yeah. all the different, uh, yeah. Um, um, musicians, which was like so cool, you know, and, and, and extremely talented and, and he's still doing stuff now. I know, uh, you know, but it's mostly, uh, from a cultural standpoint down in San Pedro, he, uh, and, and Victor, they, they were, they, they were like, so, uh, they were schooled on the Pedro thing, you know, Watt and Boone, you know, they, they, that was, you know, that, that was their, their gods yeah. <laughs> and then they got to work for the label and they you know so it was really cool to see that you know those guys are so so you know uh in, into it all that it's it's okay. i love seeing people that are passionate doing their thing what about later you know when greg started getting gone going again and and mm -hmm. you know doing his the greg ginn stuff like dick and he's touring again by this mm, point now he's touring again yeah yeah I mean, when he starts releasing music again in that era, he's 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 got a band and he's starting to tour again. Mm -hmm. Th that must have been easier, somewhat easy for you to to get some press around. You know, Greg starting to do music again. Oh yeah, I mean, the, the interest that we that was he's revered in, in that that genre. 
And um, as far as the, I mean, the, the critical response to his solo stuff, as you know, has not been, you know, it, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't black flag. Okay. So there, there you go. You know, it, it's like, Greg is is singing on these records and he's he's writing these songs and some of them have you know glimpses touches of, of what was in the past but but I think you know he may have been you know trying just like with Cruz and SST just keep things you know keep a firewall up between everything and and trying to mold and shape his own direction but then you know, like I said, he had he had the Greg Ginn record. He had the the the, the different uh, um, uh, solo type of records. I remember he was working with um, this one young guy, uh, uh, Nate. Uh, I don't know why I'm forgetting his last name, but but he was like a younger guy, and and I think Greg kind of hung out and tapped into his kind of um, marketing and and. and and ideas about how music should be and, and so forth. And, and he started gravitating towards, towards uh, what, what Nate was, was telling him about what's going on out there, because I guess we were getting older and stuff. And, but yeah, to, to call up somebody or, you know, send out a promo to, to get someone to listen to Greg's new thing and get an interview with him and stuff. Um, it, it wasn't that hard because, you know, anyone who knew anything about punk rock was, you know, was interested in talking to Greg, but, but Greg didn't, you know, just like anybody in his position, he wants to talk on his own terms. He, you know, he didn't, he didn't want to talk about the gossip. He didn't want to, he was really trying to do something for Greg Ginn, doing a great Ginn record, but it, it, it was really hard i'm sure <laughs> to, to do that it's, it's really hard yeah it's, and when you come and, from this iconic band with a iconic front man and everybody knows it it maybe didn't end well i'm sure everyone wanted to know you know mm-hmm. when's the last time yeah. you spoke to henry rollins those kinds of things right 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 and and the thing is yeah i remember when i ran into henry at one of those seminars or whatever and you know you know he was friendly and all but you know, cordial, I guess you could say, you know, he wasn't like, but, you know, Greg had a lot of people that he didn't, I guess what you say, end on good terms with. And so it, it, it's almost like living in a neighborhood, right? Because, you, you know, he's in the music business. He's in a certain part of the music business. And if you're going to put records out by yourself on, uh, of your own or, you know, bands that you're signing, there's certain people in certain part of these circles that you're going to run into. So, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's better to be, how shall we say cordial or coexist. I'm, I'm all about coexist, right. you know? So sure. Maybe you don't like this, that, the other thing, or maybe, but um, when we used to go to these things, uh, you know, Greg had some, yeah, there are some people that he didn't want to see or people that he wanted to see because he wanted to tell them that they needed to pay him and, and stuff like that, you know, because, yeah, there, there's the independent record business is just like any other business. There's a lot of shysters in them and there's a lot of people that are dishonest and, and are out to screw you and, 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 you know, bury you. And, and, and so, um, you know, having 
having a boss like Greg and with, with what he's been through and, and what he was trying to do, uh, it, it was a kind of an odd place <laughs> to be in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure there was some, some baggage by that point. Right. So. Yeah. 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 Oh, and th- that's the other thing. When I came over to SST and started doing the publicity and working with the bands, I mean, you know, some of the bands were like, you know, you know I'm not going to say who, yeah. <laughs> but they they were jerking my chain you know i'd set things up you know and then they and he, mind you after all the years of working in the business there's artists that have once again uh, for lack of better terms demons um uh, and you know or drug addictions or men- mental instability that they can't hold it together you know and i always tell this this silly story but when i was in college uh, i took a logic and semantics class and um one of the things that uh, was was front and center when it came to artists they said uh, a commonly held belief of the general public is that all artists are queer and immoral so whenever someone sees an artist and they like their music and they're oh yeah that's great but whenever they do something that's you know, a little off center or whatever, then oh, I mean, they're, they're freaks, they're freaks, you know? Um, so the, the, the point um, I'm trying to make uh, about it is that, you know, some of the artists I work with were all about, I mean, like Bill Stevenson. Uh, he's, he's, he's like, he's a, a workhorse. Yeah. He, I mean, look at what he's done. Yeah. I mean, look at the studio, look at the bands he's produced. When Cruz moved over to SST, you started working more for S, like the SST artists directly. Yeah, everything. Yeah, when we when he took over, when he when he bought out Chuck, then SST crews. You know, I, I I was in charge of doing the marketing and for all, and the marketing and publicity for all of them. Mm-hmm. So what it would have been more of like the stuff that came in the early to mid '90s, like Bazooka, Hotel X, Leaving Trains, uh, the reactivated Flesh Eaters. Yeah. Uh, flesh eaters, like, yeah, like I said, the, the, the negative land, you two, uh, boy, what, boy, what a mess that was, man. Yeah, we uh, had to be dodgy about that. Um, and you know, that's the other thing, he spent so much money, from what I understand, on, on lawyers because of that. Uh, because, uh, yeah, that was you know, and that, that, that was, I guess, I mean, negative land always did some crazy, provocative, you know, things to, to really bend people you know out of shape but um because he with they did it with casey Kasem and u2 you know it it was you know i mean you couldn't get too much bigger than u2 at the time (laughs) you know to to pick on you know so that 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 was uh it was a lot of work it took a lot of uh energy to 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 juggle all that um and uh but you know in the end, you know, it's we had to pull all the, that product, you know, and still some of it floating around and and so forth. But um, but yeah, like the, the leaving trains. Um, I was working. Uh, I actually we we put out the uh, No Man, you know, the, the yeah. Roger Miller stuff, and and Roger was uh, re- really a cool guy. Poor guy, he had tinnitus, but he was still going out and playing and stuff. And, and unfortunately i have it now so yep. it's, so it's, do i <laughs> yeah it's like what yeah it's like it you gotta have brain power to deal with tonight yeah man. yeah you for gotta, sure. 
you know, when I first got it, I started listening to uh, like um, Brian Eno music for airports, just trying to, you know, <laughs> just go in another direction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, those those bands. There, that's the other thing. You know, by that time, you know, Meat Puppets had left. Um, Sonic Youth have left, but uh, you know, some of the, you know, the the darlings, you know, the the, the SST big bands and, and and so forth had had uh, left so we were working with i guess the leaving trains you know kind of regrouped with uh with, with uh, uh james and then they they were very uh how shall we see raucous yeah. <laughs> live band <laughs> and uh and they they uh i remember when they did the uh you remember the the guns and roses user use your illusion and then they had their their parody of it and and uh you know, it's it's it was entertaining, but but it was it uh, a lot a lot of a lot of drinking, yeah. Lot of drink. So it kind of kind of derailed a lot of things, you know. So I was recently talking to Pat Howard. Uh, oh, Pat. Yeah. yeah, and we were talking, you know, about how SST was kind of a farm label in a sense for you know bands mm-hmm. like you mentioned the Meat Puppets, for example, right? But also for uh, you know, people who worked there, like Ray Farrell and and mm-hmm. uh, and yourself. You mentioned mm-hmm. that you you went on, you moved on to uh, Epitaph after. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Well, actually, what happened was um, back in what was it ninety six? I was uh, approached by uh, Mark Bevan. The, he's a radio promotion uh, guy uh, with his partner. And in New York, and he reached out to me to because he was starting up a record label in New York, and so I wound up leaving in December of '96 to go work at the the, the label. But what I, I guess I didn't do enough due diligence because he really didn't have. He told me he did, but he really didn't have distribution set up, and he was working with a lot of uh, bands from Europe. In fact, I still listen to one of the records we put out. It was. Uh, the uh, Saint Germain uh, Boulevard record. It, it, it's kind of like a loungy jazz, you know, eclectic thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he thought that because he had some product from some of these French artists and European artists, that he'd be able to make them big in in the independent distribution. Uh, excuse me, independent label in in, um, in the United States. Uh, but it turns out that we really didn't have distribution. We were working. Uh, with uh, the one stops and, you know, to your point, the marketing, the sales end of um, the record business. I, I learned a lot at SST. So my knowledge was valuable to them. And so uh, I wound up helping them figure out how to sell the tower records and how to, you know, work with, uh, you know, uh, Valley one stop. That was the big one stop on the West coast at the time and so forth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it only lasted about ten months, and I wound up coming back to um, to LA, and then um, I was out of work for about almost eight months, whatever. But one of my, um, uh, you remember I told you, you know, Greg and I used to do pickup games uh, when we went to the convention and stuff. Uh, but one of one of the people I befriended was uh, Dave Hansen, mm-hmm. who um, wound up becoming label manager, uh, you know, uh, or C, uh, GM of uh, Epitaph. But at the time, in the, the mid-90s, he was uh, 
he was running his own mail order business. Uh, uh, and before that, he was at Dr. Dream Records. So that, that's how I knew him. But he was working at Epitaph. He had just started less than a year. And he said, hey, we got to get you a job at Epitaph. And so I put together a, a proposal for a merch company um, for uh, uh, Brett Gerwitz. And um, uh, finally got an interview with Brett. And uh, I remember one of the questions Brett asked me was, uh, what, uh, Stones or Beatles? <laughs> I said, Stones, man. You know, it's like that one. But anyhow, uh, unfortunately, I was the last person he hired before he, you know, he went off the deep end, you know, uh, and uh, was out of commission for a couple of years and all. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to uh, the experience, yeah, working at SST, like, like, just like, uh, well, look at Carducci, man. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, his, he really turned that into something, you know, his experiences there and, and, and Ray Farrell, I mean, went on to Geffen and, and, uh, so, um, yeah, it's a farm system for the bands, but also, um, I mean, look, look at the, 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 the touring routes that those bands you know, and I think a big part of that was Greg and, and especially Chuck, because Chuck was the real monster when it came to, um, you know, booking tours and stuff and, you know, making things come together. He was he was really, you know, a smart guy, really crafty, really, you know, knew how to, you know, work, work it, you know. And but but Chuck was not the kind of guy that worked it um, to disadvantage you or whatever. He just, you know, saw what we had to do and, you know, let's go, you know, it. You know, whereas other people that do that and they quite honestly when i was booking tours and bands and stuff like that you know the least my least favorite people to deal with were you know the guys and the ladies um booking the clubs you know they they they, they were you know they were they ground they grinded real hard you know <laughs> and you know made it really hard on the bands you know to make money and then taking the merch percentage and yeah. you know you know you gotta get this many in you know and so and then they, you know, they wouldn't lift a finger to promote, you know, it was all, oh, well, you know, just, you got to do it. So yep. um, those lessons are what, you know, all of us learned and, and you know, parlayed into, uh, you know, other music business uh, uh, careers. Yeah. Did, did you stay in the industry? Like even post no. Apatow? Uh No, actually, um, back in 2004, because, you know, that was the whole Napster era, you know, in the early 2000s and, and you know, record sales, everything was like, what? The? You know, it, it was it was pretty morbid, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, the, all the, the people. What was interesting, though, is, you know, through my years of working in independent record labels, um, I really enjoyed, um, you know, what we talked about earlier, the passion that people have for, for you know, it's almost like, it's it's a club you know you're you're just part of the team and everything but so many times i'd go to these conventions i always go back to conventions like i I, you know that's how you get get your you know you got to wave your flag and get people to pay attention and you know interview your bands and stock your records and and all that but one of the things that um i always noticed that there were people and i'm glad i'm talking about this because it gets me back to uh, what greg said a long time ago uh is that you go to these, this convention and you see people and they're working for Warner Brothers. And then six months later or a year later, you see them at another convention. They're working for, for uh, you know, A&M Records or, you know, they're 
there's this um, revolving door of people trying to get, you know, a, a, you know, cush job, a lot of money and, and work in the business. But, but I just saw these people going up the ladder and, and doing these things, but, but they were, became more and more pawns in the whole system. And they really weren't, um, uh, you know, uh, engaged with the music as much as engaged with the, the scene, the you know, the system, and yeah. but that's fine. I don't criticize them for it, but that's one thing that I recognized um, working for an independent label, and, and why you know I, I enjoyed working for independent labels because the entrepreneurial spirit. You know, I'm, I'm a you know I'm self-employed. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a you know in, in my industry now. I'm, I'm a financial advisor. I went. I did a 180. You know, mm -hmm. I used to go to bed three or four in the morning, you know, <laughs> after being out in the clubs, now I have to get up or, you know, around yeah. then, or, you know, not that early, but, yeah. um, but the thing is, um, um, back to Greg, what Greg always said to the bands, he said it to me, and I think he said it to the bands, is that, um, like when Husker Du or, or the Meat Puppets, uh, that's the thing, the Meat Puppets were, you probably heard about that, that they were a little, you know, miffed at the fact that, some of the bands that came after them to the label were, you know, getting, getting, the, getting a chance at the gold ring, you know, yeah. going on a major label. And um, what Greg always said, and I think it's, it's true that you have to decide as an artist, what you want to do. You want to have a career or do you want to make music as an artist? And it's not to say that those two things can never be, one because they do they do happen yeah. but it's so rare so you have to be prepared to say okay i'm going to make my music and i'm going to do it the way i think i should be doing it because this is what an artist does right whereas okay well there's my peers getting this like wow look at the car they're driving look at the house they're living in and, and you know so no one should be faulted for whatever side you're on about that, you know, yeah, yeah. but he really, you know, when he said that to me, I thought, yeah, that's, you know, that, that, that helps keep your feet on the ground. Basically, it keeps you sane, you know, because, because it's so hard for an artist, right? They, they work so hard or some of them don't work hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, my wife used to say, Oh, well, her, her older brother was great at math and all the teachers loved him. And, and, and she said, I'm just, I can't, I can't, <laughs> how did that happen? How did it get the, those talents? How did it? Yeah. And so it's, it's really important to uh, just know what you want, know really what truly is inside of you to fulfill you, make you happy. And if it's making your music the way you want to do it and screw everybody else, do it. But if it's, Hey, I really do want that you know, 3000 square foot home in the Hills, you know? So what do I have to do? What moves do I have to do to get there? You know? Yeah. And when, you know, that whole issue of sellout that everybody always, you know, points to, you know, when a band goes to a major label, whatever, yeah. you know, some people should sell out because that's good for them. That's, you know, whatever. But, you know, there's always the posers who, um, you know, sell out, but act like they didn't. And, or, or, or they can't, you know, they can't come to grips with it, you know?
Yep. So, so yeah, I wanted to make sure because I thought about it earlier when we were talking and I forgot to, you know, bring it up about, you know, one, one of the things that always stuck with me about was that you, do you want to be an artist or do you want to have a career? You know, it's, it's, it's pretty simple, but it, a lot of people can't see that, you know, from the forest with the trees or, or whatever you want to call it. Ron, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. This has been a pleasure. And, and if uh, you got any follow-up or you want me to help you, you know, reach out to some of my other colleagues in, in, in our in our past, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to do that. So there you have it. That's why Cruise was started, hey? Yeah. I, I've never really heard it told that way or I've never really read about it. I mean, I knew that it was Greg kind of doing something his own, but wanting to, you know, even maintain the identity once it was folded in with SST, that's interesting. Speaking of folding, I loved when he was talking about making uh, the manufacturer Rainbow Records fold <laughs> all those time those cruise catalogs. Remember those? Oh yeah, They're well I've like, got a, I've got tons of them. Yeah, yeah, I've saved every one. Like just fold it up like a, you know, I don't know. Oh yeah, like them. like you got to fold them up so small to get them in a CD. Or especially right or a cassette right it was just bulging you know i remember that for sure yeah uh i so, I've, so he was talking about a few things made me think about jim rulin's book actually that he talks mm. about jim distributor or sorry gem distributors yeah going under and and how that jim goes into you know some really great uh detail about all the issues with the distributors and the impact it had on sst yeah uh, and also the negative land stuff and all the hassles caused by the U2 record. Jim does a fantastic overview of how that entire debacle played out. Yeah, I love how Ron said, you know, we had to pull them all back and there's there's some of them still floating out there. Yeah. And I'm like, you're damn right there is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lo- loved his description of Greg Ginn's fadeaway jumper. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, oh, and some good advice from, from the Duke, too. Don't listen to the... Oh, that was HR, actually. Don't listen to the... Rah, 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 rah. Don't yeah. listen to the... Rah, rah, rah. Yeah, totally. That just means, you know what, man? Be your own person. Yep. Be good. Be a good person. But just be your own person, man. Think, got- about, think about how much stuff related just to SST. Let's just focus on that for a second. How much amazing stuff we're still enjoying right now if people listen to the rrr rrr rrr. Yeah. For Forget sure. it. For Forget sure. it. Uh, he mentioned Dr. Dream Records, which oh, I, I loved hearing that because two weeks ago, uh, Pat Ho had mentioned El Grupo Sexo and Vince McGrooney. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep. Uh, and like, man, I was, I'm, I said earlier in my spiels that I wasn't listening to much other than, you know, Cheap Trick and ZZ Top and DOA now, but uh, I also rocked some Chemical People this week. I was listening to listening to that album soundtracks because it's it's one oh, I yeah. really like, you know. And really, while you I was like, yeah, it's got some Gone vibes, you know. But yeah, it, I suppose. I got thinking about it because he talks about Dave Naz's connection to porn stars or whatever, right? And mm-hmm. the reason, if people don't know, that that record, which came out on Cruise by the way, Cruise Twenty, is. Uh, it's all soundtracks from porn movies that mm-hmm. <laughs> between the cheeks too, and new wave hookers too. 
Yeah. Oh, you actually researched which it's on the back of the CD films. So. Oh, it is. I, yeah. You know what? I got to tell you, I love the chemical people. I may have listened to that one twice. Oh, really? You should listen to it again. Yeah, maybe it's been a while. Yeah. I've, I definitely have kind of dismissed that one. I mm. would say not said. Yeah. And I liked how he ended the interview too, where he, he's talking about this, uh, you know, this notion of, that Greg had about, pri- you know, what are your priorities as, as an artist? You know, mm. yeah, yeah. It, it made me think of actually Mario Lally in that Vinyl Guide interview I mentioned last week. Uh, makes some really insightful comments on that subject, especially from his perspective with some of the you know the desert bands that got big, like Caius or Queens of the Stone Age, for example. Mm-hmm. He 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 talks about that at length, and it's it's really interesting. But yeah, loved talking to Ron. It made me want to get more into Cruise Man because so, there's. I don't know, like, I don't know if there's a bad record on Cruise. Yeah, I can't think of any right now. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Well, I'll, I will re-listen to soundtracks. <laughs> that that might be my least favorite one, though. I don't mm-hmm. know. And it's, it's I don't know. Well, not, not I, I take it back. I, I'm not going to say who, but there's bad records on Cruise. But now that I think about it, but there's a lot of really, really great ones, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. I don't know. We might have to. I don't know if I want to do cruise start to finish once we're done this. I think I'll be ready to move on, but like we could pepper some cruise in. Should we uh, talk about this record a little bit though? Yeah. History lesson part two. All right. Let me kick off history lesson part two here with some spaceman spieling it about the joy EP. Here we go from the SST catalog. This three-song EP was released after Paranoid Time, but before The Punchline. Produced by Mike Patton, these songs are pure early Minutemen. Joy. <laughs> That's all it says. Cover art by D. Boone. Didn't really get very creative on that one. No. <laughs> but it does say here, you know, of course, uh, seven-inch, single, three-inch CD. It doesn't say the word single. It doesn't. It just says C-A. <laughs> But it's like a single. Okay. I tried to find a picture of it. The pictures I could find look like, like one of those, maybe one of those like paper sleeves on a single. I don't know. Maybe. Did you find a picture of the cassette single? No. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we've got uh, side one is yeah. Joy, written by Georgian Watt, 52 seconds. Mm-hmm. probably said this before, uh, but I feel like I have this thought in my brain about pre-Double Nickels Minutemen not being fully formed or not really my preferred material, maybe. Yeah, you but, said that. But every time we get into this early Minutemen, I'm reminded how idiotic that notion is. <laughs> <laughs> All three of these songs are as good as anything on on Double Nickels for me. Like. Lo- loving D Boone's leads. I always like what I consider like his signature lick when he bends a note up to the same key as the next string two frets back and just rocks it. Oh yeah. He has a wicked solo on this song and it's over before you know it. Yeah. It's it's got that Watt with a pick sound. Also love how this song starts with the hi hat. Like Georgie actually starts it just with a little shh on the hi-hat and that's yeah. how the song kicks off i love that the the mix on the vocals is really interesting too how d's vocals are panned right and left mm. it's it's a cool effect on this tune yeah uh the the next one is black sheep that's also on the a side 
mm-hmm. uh, Hurley Watt. And uh, here's some serious uh, post-punk based sounds for me on this track. Yeah, yeah. Can- oh, yeah, man. That's what I wrote too. You know, you can see those post-punk roots showing for sure. Uh, I love how it shifts gears into that super anthemic instro part. Mm-hmm. It's it's, it's it's classic minute, man. It is for sure. One minute and six seconds, hey? Yep. Uh, and then we flip it over for more joy. Also one minute and six seconds. And that's Boone, Des Watt. And interesting what you said earlier. I assumed it, that Des contributed lyrics because the Minutemen did that a lot, right? Where they would just mm-hmm. ask outside uh, member, uh, you know, friends for, for to give them words and stuff. So I yep. assumed that's what Des did, but... Um, you know, that, that piece you read made it sound like he, he wrote the music for this, which is interesting. Hard to tell. Um, I have a I have a question for you about the lyrics on this EP in a second, though. Um, but first, I have another question for you. Do you think the opening sounds of this song, More Joy, sounds like that Jane's Addiction song, Been Caught Stealing? Hmm, maybe. How do you mean? Well, it has a like bum, 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 you know, like that kind of. Yeah, okay, I can see that. I was just kind of like, dude, the Janes kind of like, were they, did they get some inspirato from this song or what? Oh, I mean, Jane's Addiction, they had some Minutemen vibes because they had some funk in their, in some, like, Mm -hmm. Been Caught Stealing is a funk, kind of a funky song. For sure. You know, it's got the, uh, or not Been Caught Stealing, what's the first song on that record? Stop. It's got that, you know, and I mean like Dave Navarro played in the Red Hot Chili Peppers, man. And Flea played in Jane's Addiction. Like, you know, they can, they can funk it up. Yeah, they can funk it up. Don't forget about Psycom. That's a bit more gothy though, hey? Yeah, I love Psycom though. Yeah. So here's my question about the lyrics on this EP because I was, I was really... I was really trying to figure out what they mean, I guess. And and the best I could come up with, if, if taken as a whole, and some of them are a little bit more linear. Like Black Sheep reads like a haiku almost, mm-hmm. like very choppy, you know. Um, but Joy and More Joy are a little bit more linear. The best I could take out of these lyrics is it really seems like this EP, Joy, is kind of grappling with, you know, the supposed American dream and materialism. Um, when it's talking about, you know, he's got his head, he's got his wife, he's got, he has his condo, um, see the joys in their eyes, um, from turning toward his supper table, a ritual turned material, spend your money. That's, that's the best I could get out of the meaning behind this EP. But I mean, probably probably not totally wrong with the Minutemen. A lot of Minutemen lyrics are pretty abstract. Yeah. Some are very, (laughs) quite the opposite. Like, don't you shower. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I I mean, again, we haven't looked at this in isolation before. So I'm trying to figure out what does this thing mean? What's its message as a package, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's the best I could do. Some great, uh, Pettibone inspired cover art, I'd say. Probably. 
Yeah, just with the cat. Anytime you see something with captions like that, it, that's it's hard not to make that comparison. Yeah, well, it has it has two sets of captions on it. the The front cover is done by D Boone. Looks like a little baby, you know, maybe in a tub. I don't know. And then it it has like I think maybe the adults standing above the baby with kind of word balloons saying first the condo, the baby second. Mm-hmm. maybe speaking about priorities there i don't know yeah and then in the uh the fire hose new alliance font um it has captioned in the bottom left and i don't know maybe this is what the baby is thinking it says real joy my dad has a then it has these asterisks you know fill in the blank he employs people who believe that someday they'll push the men who will buy them uh and then some asterisks um, I don't know what that means. Can't tell. Did you have any thoughts? No. Yeah. Seems like about work. Yeah. I was thinking and all the men who learned to hate them. Yes. <laughs> kind of, right? Yeah. I was thinking of that song as well. Yeah. And then we mentioned, of course, Ken Starkey did the back cover. Ken, of course, from the plebs, also on the Feeble Efforts comp, mentioned that. Also on the Chunks comp. That's the one that I was missing. Right. Yeah. There's Ken tracks on Feeble Efforts and Chunks. Feeble Efforts we won't cover on this SST show because it was never re-released by SST, unfortunately. As I mentioned, the B-side of the uh, the New Alliance version of the pressing on the label has got a D-Boon drawing there, which we don't get on this SST version. Uh, there's no dead wax on the SST version, but there is on the B-side of the New Alliance version. Did you catch that? I did, yeah, but I, I I got it off Discogs, and I'm wondering if it's a typo on Discogs. Oh, what well, says? Doesn't it just say Boone versus Starkey? I, well, I think it says B Boone. Oh, I didn't unless, see that. Unless that's just the B side. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Boone versus Starkey. I don't know. I took it down as Boone versus Starkey. I could double check it now, but eh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Man, these tracks were really good. I was loving jamming these, like, over and over. It's a great three minutes, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I, you know, I got to get my head out of my ass when it comes to this early minute, man. Oh, it's good. It's yeah. good and funky. Now, hey, be- before we go, I saw an Easter egg on the artwork on the back cover, and I wanted to make sure that I tested you on that. Hmm. Did you Did you pick out anything? And, again... The drawing by Ken Starkey on the back cover, that's like D. Boone looking in his mind, right? right that's, yeah. that's what the image is supposed to, I feel to like, show. I feel like we've talked about that artwork before. Maybe, like back in the 90s or when? <laughs> so see if you can pick out anything else in there. Well, Any- the baby off the front cover is in his mind? Is that the Easter egg? Maybe. I don't, I don't know, man. These eyebrows that he has need... To be you know plucked a little bit maybe <laughs> so take a look at what appear to be like video cameras on these pedestals do yeah. you see anything written on them what does that say i can't read it i'm pretty sure it says joy okay yeah easter egg boom there you go <laughs> <laughs> what do you think man ballot result uh yeah ballot result pretty much a toss-up I, hey? I went with Black Sheep. 
Cause it's, really? It's just, it's a pretty like creative song actually for such young, young guys. Like the bass is killer for just, me. Just the, uh, the structure of the song mm-hmm. for me. Oh, it's out there. Yeah. It's out there. I'm but, with you. Let's do it. I liked all three of them. Well, me too, but, yeah. but let's do black sheep. I'm down. Cool, man. Hey, uh, Ryan, thanks to Ron Coleman for being on the show. It was really fun talking to Ron. Yeah. As Pat Howard said, thanks for joining the, uh, the Mojack family. Yeah. All right, Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brant, we're going into some Husker solo material. Oh yeah. Grant Hart intolerance. Yeah. SST 215, the Grant Hart intolerance LP. Looking forward to it. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at MoJackPod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is MoJackPod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.